0: I invite you to take your copy of God's word and turn with me to Genesis chapter 30, Genesis chapter 30. It's here in the book of Genesis that we're following the life of, uh, the, fa- of a fa- the life of a family of a man named Jacob. In the Old Testament, God has chosen to make himself known to us through a style of literature called narrative. It's a narrative, it's a story about people. And this morning's passage is one of the passages that really remind us that everybody everybody can have a pretty messy life sometimes. Everybody's life can can get pretty wild. Genesis chapter 30, verses 22 through 24. There's two girls in the story, Rachel and Leah. They're both married to the same guy, Jacob. Leah is able to have children Leah is not Leah because Rachel because of her barrenness she decides to have children for Jacob via a surrogate which was quite common in ancient times Uh, the child though was born by another woman was counted as the legal child of the the main wife of the mother it was counted as as the, the mother of the child she had the right to name the kids and here in Verses thirty, Chapter 30, verses 22 and 24, Rachel finally, after years, has, is able to have a child. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and opened her womb, and she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Jacob, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. We trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is Rachel's first natural child that she's had. She had two sons with the surrogacy of a lady named Bilhah, and those two sons were named Dan and Naphtali. Dan, his name means to judge, and Naphtali means wrestle, wrestle. In fact, the the little little reading at the bottom of the English Standard Version says that the word Dan sounds like the word judge, and the word Naphtali sounds like the word wrestle. So these are the names given to the children. Rachel's angst over her ability to have children has really had an effect on her. Have you ever wanted something so bad you could taste it, and the longer you went without getting it, the more it messed with you, the more it bothered you and upset you? Well, Rachel's going through a lot of heartache. She's going through a lot of trouble. She wants to have a child. She lives in a culture where a woman's primary value, her primary value, it's not that way today, but where a woman's primary value is her ability to have children. If she could have children... She could have anything she wanted in family. And so here is Rachel, who is a beautiful girl, a loved and, and cherished wife of Jacob, but she can't have a kid. And she feels like she's less of a woman. She feels like she's inferior to her sister, and in, and in reality, she was inferior to her sister, Leah, who was able to have children. It just bothers her. And because she can't, have this need fulfilled. She feels forsaken and neglected by the God of her husband, by Jacob. Neglected by God. You ever felt neglected by God? Where is the Lord? How come he's not around? Where is he? But what happens here in this passage is, by the time you get to verses 22 and 24, Rachel appears to start feeling differently about God. Differently about her situation. And that's kind of what happens as you get older in life. We call it Maturity. When you're a kid, everything's a big deal. Everything, Everything's overblown and exaggerated 100 times. When you get to be, you know, 20, it's not so bad. When you get to be 30, you're kind of balanced. When you get to be 40, 50, 60, you don't care anymore about anything. You don't, you don't, you're not worried about matching. This morning, I put on a tie with this, with this shirt, a striped tie with this shirt. And I looked in the mirror, and I thought, Valerie will kill me if I wear this tie. Because <laughs> you get to where you just don't care. You get that that way explains explains the wardrobe choices of so many people sometimes, you know. They just reach the point where they don't care anymore. Then verse number 6 of chapter 30, when she has this first son with the surrogate, she says, God has judged me and heard me. God has judged me and heard me. God has looked at me and heard me. But what she's saying here is not that God has judged her and said, I'm going to let you have this child because you're worthy. No, she knows something about herself. She knows that she's not measuring up. If God judged you and based the amount of your blessings on what you deserve, I wonder how many blessings you and I would get. Well, I'm pretty good. You know, when people say stuff like that or think thoughts like that, I'm, all, I'd be, I'm amazed that they, don't, that they really know God, that, that, that they ever compare themselves. self, that they ever behold their face in the perfect law of liberty. Because when you hold up the law of liberty, the law of God, what you find is that you've come up short. You come up short. But she says, God has judged me, but he has heard my prayer. But what God has done here is God has heard her prayer. She knows she is imperfect. She knows she's a sinner. But God still gives her the desire of her heart. She decides she wants a child through the surrogate, through Bilhah, and so God gives it to her. And listen, my friends, don't forget, God's general way of dealing with people is that he deals with us in mercy. That is, giving us what we do not deserve. God is merciful. His mercy is past finding out. I take this to mean that Rachel has realized that she's been wrong of God to demand a child from him. She's been wrong to say, God, I deserve this, because she's realized she doesn't deserve anything from God. And that changes the way you pray, changes the way you think about life. And then she has a second son whose name is Naphtali, and she names him Naphtali, means wrestling. She says, because I've had many wrestlings with my sister. Now, friends, I never had a sister. I only got one brother. But I can tell you that when you have one brother... There's lots of wrestlings <laughs> that go on. I can remember going down to, on Christmas morning to the Christmas tree and seeing that big old tree and seeing a big present and seeing my brother's name on it. I wasn't too happy about that. <laughs> I was kind of upset. I remember when I was a kid, you know, G.I. Joe and He-Man. That was the kind, of the, kind of the big thing. And my brother got a castle of gray skull. The whole thing. And they got He-Man and Skeletor and the little cats they rode around on. And my brother got those things. I, even, I think She-Ra was a part of that group. Does anybody remember was She-Ra part of that? Brian says it was. And my brother got all those things. And I remember how big that was. Castle of Grayskull. Big box. Kind of like getting a Barbie dream house. We got one for our girls one time. You know, it's big. And even though it, it's not that, it's not substantial, substantive, it's still big. There's conflicts that go on in a family. And here is Rachel with this sister who is not as attractive as Rachel, but who is way more fertile than Rachel. And in a culture where all that matters is a woman's ability to have children, here is one woman who is very valuable and one who is not. And I can just see, I can see Leah at the family dinner table with her belly big and pregnant, coming in there and rubbing her belly. Going, oh! Rachel, you know how this hurts. Oh, you don't. Oh, it's just such a, to feel the baby kick. You know what I mean, Rachel? Oh, that's right, you don't. I could see Leah doing that to her sister. You say, nah, sister wouldn't do that. <laughs> I heard the gasp. <laughs> Everybody knows. People can be mean and vicious. And, and now she's had many wrestlings, but she has this second son with a surrogate. And then in verse fifteen, it tells us that Sarah, that uh, Rachel has had conflict with Leah over the attentions of Jacob. Now let's let's be honest here. Jacob is a man with two wives, a polygamist. Polygamist, married to two sisters, and then he has two more secondary wives, Bilhah, and then this other girl's name I can't remember. That's what he's got, four wives. It's crazy. And they're fighting over him, causing all kinds of drama in the home. Friends, when I read a passage like this, it reminds me that the private life of God's people can sometimes be really messy, really messy. I figure that your private life, the life with your family, children, wives... Mothers fathers, they can be pretty messy. I've told you this before. My, my mom, when, her, when, her, when she was five years old, her dad killed a man, went to prison for five years. Not, not five years, went to prison. I don't know how long he was in prison. Went to prison while he was in prison. My grandma had an affair with his best friend. Got pregnant with my uncle. Divorced my grandpa while he was in prison. Messed up my mom's whole life. She never got to see her dad after that, Harley until she was a late teenager. And she, my grandma, the guy my grandma married, he divorced his wife to marry my grandma. They were married 35 years. They divorced and remarried five times. Divorced and remarried the same person five times. That's crazy. While they were married, the, the family legend is that my step-grandpa, that he fathered eight other children with eight other women, well being married to my grandma. Now that's 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 Jerry Springer TV right there. That's Donahue and Oprah level. I mean, that's crazy. Crazy. My grandma was the the granddaughter of a Baptist preacher. Got pregnant at 15 years of age, had my mom when she was 16. So <laughs> my grandma was 35 when I was born. Crazy, isn't it? Kind of, you know, probably if we poked around in, your, in you guys' lives. You know what we'd find? Similar stuff. <laughs> Similar stuff because our lives are all a mess. Sometimes it's one generation removed, but sometimes it's us. That our lives are all kind of messy. Listen, my friends, sometimes we can get still. So we think about the ideal standard of life, our private lives can be very messy. Your life may have been messy and is messy now, but that doesn't mean that God is not looking out for you, that God doesn't love you, nor does it mean that God can't use you. Does it mean that God can't use you? God deals with us in mercy. He knows we're just rotten sinners. He knows that we do the things we shouldn't do. He loves us anyway. A messy life. It's a reminder to us that we are indeed still in the fallen realm, and we're not yet in heaven. There ain't going to be any perfect perfect family lives or private lives till we get to heaven. Until we get to heaven, we're going to have the messes. We had the messes. And when you look across other people and their lives are a mess, don't judge them too hard because you can do your best and still have some, some crazy stuff happen. Crazy stuff. But back to our message. Rachel in verse 22, the Bible says she's remembered by God. Does that mean God forgot her? He's like, oh, he's walking around one day in heaven. He goes, who's that? Oh, Rachel. Oh, I forgot about her. Is that what it means? It's not what it means. God does not forget. Because if God forgets, that means God would remember. And if God remember, that would mean his mind would change. And God doesn't change. God doesn't change. He's the same. He doesn't learn anything. He's not the best calculus student in school or in the universe. He doesn't need education. He knows all things. All knowledge descends from him. So what does it mean, remembered? It means that the narrator, the man writing the story, his impression, it appeared that God remembered Rachel. God comes to Rachel and he opens her womb. He hears her prayer and he comes and gives her what she wants. And this is a lesson for us about praying, about praying. Have you ever prayed and not gotten your prayer answered? I prayed for seven years for God to do a couple things for me. One time I prayed for about four years that the Lord would give me $7,000 because the pastor I had told me that I could never get into the ministry until I had all my debts paid off. And that was exactly how much I owed money I owed was $7,000. I was like, Lord, give me $7,000. You want me to be in the ministry? Give me $7,000. First year, no $7,000. Second year, no $7,000. Third year, no $7,000. And in fact, it only got a little bit bigger by the third year. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't no blessings coming down from heaven. And I got frustrated. He said, Lord, I just want to do this so my pastor says I can go be in the ministry. I just want to serve the Lord. And after a while, if you pray about something long enough and it doesn't, come, it doesn't happen, it doesn't come true, you become frustrated by prayer. And you can start to think that praying is useless. It doesn't matter if I pray. Why should I pray? What will be, will be? What won't be, won't be? Why should I worry about praying? You can get frustrated with prayer. You ever been there? You you ever pray for something just say, I'm not praying about that anymore. It's just going to be, I'm done with it. I have. And I've quit praying about something. And then later on, I've resumed praying about something that I quit praying for. I went back to praying for it because I felt bad for quitting praying for it. So you go back to praying for it. And guess what happened? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. And then have you ever have God answer a prayer for you that you decided to quit praying for? He has answered it later. I have. You pray about something, you know, a week, an hour, a month, I don't mean you're praying constantly for it, but you know, like you got it on the list and you're making making memory of it every day. You know, Lord, help me with this. Lord, give me that. Lord, work this situation out. And then one day you're like, Lord, I guess you ain't gonna do it so I'm not praying about it anymore. Then time goes by and the Lord does work it out. Your prayer is just, once you make a prayer to God, it may not get answered that day. It may not be answered ever because it may not be his will, but the Lord, he, if it's his will, it's gonna happen. It will work out. The prayer will come true. So what can we learn about prayer if we get frustrated with it? Well, first of all, we can learn that it never hurts to pray about something. Here's Rachel, who had tried to have a baby, who knows how many times. The only way she can have a baby is through a surrogate. But she keeps on praying, Lord, give me a baby. And then one day, what happens? Bam, she has a baby. The Lord comes. It doesn't hurt to pray about something. It doesn't hurt to pray about anything. We're, where are we going? Where are we going? We were going to go to Washington, D.C. in about in 2017, it must have been. And right before we went, I had an ingrown toenail. And I was thinking about all the miles of walking we're going to do up there in Washington, D.C., all the walking. And my toe was hurting, man. And I said, Lord, please heal my toe. Because I don't want to be, you know, limping around Washington, D.C., Valerie, will, you know, she'll leave me behind. <laughs> <laughs> she'll abandon me in an alleyway, you know. When I prayed, and you know what happened? In about a week's time, my toe started getting better and better. And by the time we went, my toe was fine. He said, well, why would you waste time praying about a sore toe? Because it don't hurt to pray about anything. Man, how small it is. I got stuck the the day driving a FedEx truck. I was turning around the road, got my back tires off in the ditch, and I got stuck, and I got out of the truck, and there was, a, there was a farmhouse down the road about a half mile away. I ran down there because I saw a big truck in the front. I ran down there, knocked on the door, and nobody answered. Four four-wheel drives in the driveway, and nobody answered the door. So what am I going to do? I ran back down to the truck. I didn't want to call my boss and say, hey, man, I got stuck because I don't want to get chewed out. You ever been there? Don't want to get in trouble by the boss, man. So I climbed back in the seat of that that FedEx truck, I put it in reverse, it moved a little bit, I put it in drive and felt that transmission catch, and I said, dear God, please help me get this truck out of this ditch. I stepped on the gas, nothing. Its tires spun, I backed up a little bit more, finally I mashed on the gas, I felt it grabbing, and I said, oh Jesus, please get me out of this ditch! And I got back out on the ditch and I was driving down the road singing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. I mean, you see, just, it don't hurt to pray about anything. Now, if I'd gotten stuck, if the Lord hadn't gotten me out of the ditch, well, I would have called the boss and took my licks. You know, but it doesn't hurt to pray about stuff, anything. Small things. You know, you can pray about something, and probably a lot of things we should pray about them until we can't pray anymore. Not until we get it, but until you can't stand to pray about it anymore. You just got to give up. Because when you give up, you know what you're doing? You're putting it right in the Lord's hands. Because we think, we think by our much speaking, God's mind will be changed. We'll pray, Lord, if you'll do this, I'll do this. Lord, this would be, I I was a kid, Preachers will say, you know, Lord, it, this would be a wonderful testimony of your greatness and goodness if you do this thing. <laughs> that's all bargaining with God. But when you finally pray about something long enough and you say, oh, you know what? I'm giving that to God. You're saying, Lord, that's your, you're going to, have to take care of that. You're leaving it in his hands. That's what you got to do pray about it. Until you can't pray anymore. We have to learn to in prayer. Just trust the Lord to do the best thing. Because whatever he does. Is the best thing. If you want to write down these three passages, these are passages about prayer. I'll give them to you, you can write, it, write them down. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12 talks about perseverance in prayer. Asking, seeking, and knocking. Asking, seeking, and knocking. Sometimes you just got to keep on doing it. Ask, seek, knock. These are all things of going after it. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 12. And then there's a whole psalm, Psalm 142, where you just have to pray and trust. The psalmist says, my prayer exploded from my lips, exploded from my heart. But there was no one around to help me. He could see no visible solution to his problem. But he says, I'll still praise the Lord. I'm going to trust in God. Psalms 142. I think got James chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, where it gives us this warning about praying. Asking God to give you something just to satisfy your own flesh your own fleshly desires. Lord, please help me win the lottery because I'll tie it to the church. I'll pay off my mama's house. I'll do whatever. Well, sure, after you do all those nice things, what's left over? Your slice. <laughs> Yeah, when I was a kid, my grandma started playing the lottery. She played every week. And my dad told her, he said, Mom, I don't think you should play the lottery. And she said, well, maybe I shouldn't. She said, but I figured if I did it, I would just divide it three ways between you three boys. My dad said, Mom, it might not be a bad idea. (laughs) You know, we pray we want to consume things on our own lust. I was praying, Lord, give me $7,000 so I could be a preacher. I wanted to be a preacher. I like being a preacher. and I was was wanting something for myself. Lord, give me this to make myself happy. James warns us about that. Sometimes our desires are not bad. Lord, please, please give us a, you know, please help us here because... We need some money to put a roof on the house or buy groceries. Those those are needs, aren't they? You're gonna consume those things on your own desires, but they're not bad. Sometimes we pray and want God to do things for us to help us just to satisfy our flesh, just to make our flesh happy. Sinful desires. I'm not gonna tell it all the all the weird stuff I prayed about. But here in our story, Rachel, she does have a child. She conceives a son, and the reproach of being childless is now gone. Think how wonderful it was when she realized, I'm having a baby. She'd been watching her sister have babies. She watched the handmaids have babies. Now she's having a baby, and she's excited about it. This long-desired child is now there. And she has a son, and she calls his name Joseph. The name Joseph means he will add. Because Rachel says, surely... This is not going to be the only son I'm going to have. Now the floodgates are open, and now I'm going to have another child. So she calls him Joseph. She feels joyous about this. And she does have another child. About It's hard to nail it down. It's about ten years later, she has a second child named Benjamin. But when she has Benjamin, Rachel dies in childbirthing when she has Benjamin. But what a moment in her life when her prayer is answered. Have you ever had an answered prayer? Recently, I had one. Besides the getting stuck in the ditch prayer. <laughs> I was praying. about. It. I said, Lord, you know, I'm going to need this. This is going to be real. This is, this is going to be something very serious for me in the near future. And I, I went down to, to, to work at FedEx. And guess what I found? My prayer answered. I, I, I the whole day, I just kind of walked around thinking, the Lord, the Lord did that for me. The Lord did that for me who am so bad, so imperfect. Did it for me who doesn't have great faith. Did it for me who yells at my wife sometimes and makes bad decisions. Did it for me who's a sinner. The Lord answering prayers. What a wonderful thing it is when a prayer gets answered. We'll notice in our text here that Rachel, when she has this child, in verse 24, she gives all the praise to the Lord. Rachel gives full credit to God for this. My friends, you got to keep in mind, you need to remember to give all the praise for answered prayer to the Lord God Almighty. Don't, don't, don't give it to anybody else. If the Lord answered the prayer, who gets the credit? If, if you do a good job... Do you want to get the credit, or do you want your coworker to get the credit? Well, you may not mind if your coworker gets the credit, as long as somebody really knows <laughs> who it was. Give God the credit. You'll be tempted to not give God the credit. You'll be, you'll be tempted to attribute the success of your endeavor to yourself. Because somebody will come along and say, Man, you sure are smart. You sure did a good job. You'll go, I know. I just, you know, just follow my gut. My daddy taught me. You'll, you'll, you'll try to keep the credit for yourself. Give the glory to God. It is God who has gifted you and enabled you to do everything that you do. That's if you're a Christian or not a Christian. It's God who's given you the gifts and abilities and talents to do it. It comes from God. This son she has is named Joseph. And this, this child will become greater than even Rachel, Jacob, or anyone else will realize Because in the last, about 20, I guess it's the last 15 chapters of Genesis, there's one dominant figure. You know who it is? It's Joseph. This son of Rachel. He will become, in time, the actual physical savior of Israel. He will be the tool that God uses to take Israel from being a large family and put them in a situation where they can grow into a nation. And be a mighty people. And what Joseph is in Scripture is a picture of Jesus Christ. And I'm really looking forward to talking about that when we get to it. Jesus. Let me give you five things and five lessons. We'll be done, okay? Five lessons. First of all, a messy life is not unusual to the people of God. It's not unusual. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. These are real people, real situations, real stuff. A messy life is not unusual to God's people. And maybe mark down Ecclesiastes 3.11, which says, He makes everything beautiful in His time. Everything beautiful in His time. A messy life. So if your life's a mess right now, remember, the Lord is with you. And he's working in your mess. (laughs) And if your life ain't a mess right now, I want you to know something. It probably will be a mess before it's over. (laughs) Things are going to happen. Things beyond your control. You can do everything right and still have it blow up in your face. You can follow the manual and still have a problem. Number two, God never forgets. You may feel like God's forgetting you, but he hasn't. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows your thoughts. He knows, he knows exactly what's going on. He knows what you need. You feel like he's not there, but he's present. He's there, and he'll reveal himself to you. He's with you, and he will help you. He'll show you. I pray, God, and I pray this often, is that the Lord would show himself in a real tangible way to every Christian. And to everybody that I know, so that they would know there is a God. He's real. And Jesus is a Savior. He's the only one who can save. I want that more than anything, for people to know the Lord. Number three, I figure I'm not the only one that wants that. I think you guys all want that too. Number three, when God answers a prayer, or when our prayers catch up to his time schedule, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. When the prayer gets answered, it will be worth it. Sometimes we're like, Lord, why didn't you act sooner? But you know, God's not in a hurry. We talked about in Sunday school just briefly. God is outside of time. God's not worried about time. Not worried about time at all. How long did it take God to make the whole world? Six days. Six days he speaks the world into existence. All these delicate things you know, uh, systems that exist. He spoke them into existence with the word. Then you have the son of Rachel, number four, the son of Rachel. This son will be the source of Israel's salvation. He's going to be greater than Rachel can imagine. Rachel may look at this one kid and say, this is all I get, one or two. But this one kid of hers is going to change the world. Before he's 30 years old, he'll be the number two man in the kingdom of Egypt. The number two guy. Pharaoh will give to Joseph as a wife, the daughter of the high priestess, of the high priest of Egypt. We'll give him a daughter. Give, give him a daughter to be a wife. And Joseph is going to be the one who saves Egypt's economy it makes egypt a worldwide superpower that's 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 her son she won't live to see it but that's what's going to happen but rachel's faith and prayer results are going to outlast her and yours will outlast you have you have you, have you prayed that the lord would save your grandkids i don't have any grandkids yet i might but i'm praying the lord will save them but not just my grandkids I want to see my grandkids become Christians and all my kids become Christians. But there's, you know, my family line ain't just going to stop with, you know, Lacey's kids or Matt's kids or Mitchell's kids. It's going to keep on going, isn't it? You want your great grandkids to be in heaven with you? What about your great, great grandkids? (laughs) You say, well, you're only going to get so much time to pray for them. But that prayer just keeps on going. The prayers keep on going. Keep on paying dividends. Keep on praying. Lastly, fifthly, Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ in Scripture. It's a glorious picture. I don't have time to say much about it, but I want to say this to you. that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of mankind. He came from heaven into this world, died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would believe in him. God laid on Jesus' back the guilt Of all who believe on him, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus became our substitute. Died on the cross. Paying the price. That's the price. Paying the price. Death. He had to die. But he died and he rose again on the third day. Came out of the grave. Bodily. 500 people saw Him at one time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the one event in history that everybody attests to. Something really significant happened there. Jesus rose again. Then he ascended bodily back to heaven, where he sits on the mercy seat in heaven as the Savior of all who believe in him. Now, this is the part that makes us wild. You mean by believing that Jesus died for my sins, my sins and my soul will be saved and I'll live forever with God? That's yes. Yes. Jesus did everything required for you to go to heaven. Everything required for you to escape the wrath of God for your sins. He did everything. All you need to do is trust in him. You say it sounds too good to be true. It sounds unbelievable. Nobody gets awful with that. Those who believe in Jesus do. (laughs) Faith, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace With God. Only Jesus can save you. Call upon him now. Call upon him. And be saved. Let's pray together. A short prayer. And then we'll sing a closing hymn. Father, we pray your blessings now upon this message. In Christ's holy name we ask it. Amen.